All right, First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And we're going to finish up chapter 3 this evening. We're going to look at verses 23 and 24. Uh, but just as a way of review, uh, last Sunday when we met to look at our series in 1 John, we noticed some keys to prayer in our life. Uh, but before we looked at those keys to prayer, we saw how John defines what prayer is. Uh, and he defines prayer ultimately as our coming before God. It's when we stand before him, it's when we, when we come before him with our petitions. Uh, it's coming before the very throne room of the one who created us. And so prayer is coming before God. And then the first key that we noticed uh, is that we need to be free from condemnation when we go to God in prayer. And of course, that starts with being saved. But John is writing to the church. He's writing to those who are saved. <clears throat> and so he's referring to the sin of the believer. And because as believers, we still fight sin. We still have this flesh, this old nature that is tempted by sin. And we are not perfect. And so when we go to God in prayer, John, he reminds us we need to confess our sin. We need to make sure we're free from condemnation. And uh, we, we saw how our heart condemns us. Oftentimes we go to God in prayer and we're, we're reminded about those things we did it during the week we ought not to have done. And we should confess those sins before God. We need to have a right heart at, when we go to God in prayer. Uh, and so we saw we need to be free from condemnation. Then we notice we need to be fueled by a confidence that God hears our prayers. God wants to hear our prayers. He wants to listen to us. He wants us to bring our petitions to Him because He cares. He loves His children and He wants us to fellowship with Him. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, is, is are we as excited to talk with God as He is to listen to us and to hear our requests? And so we saw we need to be fueled by a confidence that God wants to hear our prayers. He wants to listen to us. And that needs to be our desire. And then finally, we noticed that we need to be focused by an assurance that God does answer our prayer. Uh, God, he, he answers our prayer according to His will. Uh, it does us no good to go to God in prayer, and, but not think that He can answer it. You know, we shouldn't go to God in prayer thinking, well, God's not going to answer it anyway. Uh, when we go to God in prayer, we need to know that He will answer our prayer. Uh, he may answer it. At, we've heard many times God answers our prayer sometimes with a yes, sometimes with a no, sometimes with a wait. Uh, but we saw that one way that we can know we have our will in prayer is if our will is God's will. When, when we make our will the will of God, uh, we will have our will. Uh, and so we need to be surrendered to the will of God. When we pray, we pray that God's will be done. Uh, and so that's what we looked at last week. Tonight, I want us to finish chapter 3. And we're going to finish with a, a summary of John's concerning this idea of an assurance of salvation. Again, one of the reasons John writes this epistle to the church is that they would know that they have eternal life. One of the very reasons that we have the book of 1 John is so that we can have an assurance of our salvation. It's very important that we have an assurance uh, of our, our salvation. And uh, we're going to see three different tests 
that John mentions here. Uh, two of them we've already looked at. A third one we haven't looked at yet. But these are three things that we can see in our life and know that we have eternal life. These are three things that will be evident in the life of a believer. They, they may be to different degrees. Uh, they may be to different uh, levels, if you will. But, be, but these things will be present in the life of the believer. And so we're going to look at uh, these tests. And for those of us who are saved, we, we, we know we've been saved. It's my desire that we be reminded of who we are in Christ. That we be assured that we belong to the family uh, of God. Uh, I'm convinced that our assurance of our salvation is so vital. It's so important to our Christian life. I think about when I first got saved, uh, there were many times I struggled with doubting my salvation. And there are many believers like that, especially when we first get saved. The devil would love nothing more than for us to live in doubt. He would, he would love nothing more for us to live in uncertainty, that we belong to the family of God because when we're uncertain, when we don't have uh, confidence in Christ, we waver. We, we, do not, uh, we do not trust God as we ought to. And so we need to have an assurance of our salvation. And that's why John emphasizes having an assurance uh, of our salvation. It's so important. And so uh, we're going to look at three of those this evening. Uh, but let's go ahead and read First John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, and then we'll pray and get into the message. He writes, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him, and hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank You for this night that You've given us, and I thank You for the opportunity that we have to come together as a church and to worship You and to look at Your Word. God, as we consider this idea of having an assurance of our salvation, I pray that we would have that assurance. Uh, for those of us who do, Lord, help us just to be um, encouraged and reminded that we belong to you and we have a calling to live for you. And so, God, I ask that you'd help this message to be an encouragement to your people uh, as it was an encouragement to me. Lord, I ask that you'd help us to put aside distractions now. Help us, Lord, to see what it is you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to be emptied of self and filled with your spirit. And Lord, I pray you would do what only you can do this evening. And that's to speak to our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first test, the first thing that we see is, is the most fundamental to our life as believers. And that's that we believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 23 says, And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Very simply, you cannot be saved if you do not believe on Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 3.16, we all know this, hopefully. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that, uh, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I think I got that right. <laughs> uh, John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas were in prison, and the prison guard came and asked, uh, What must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer was, uh, Paul's answer was, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. 
And there are many other verses that we can look at that show us that we must believe on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved. And we know that when we read, uh, we, when, when we read the Bible, uh, it does not tell us to believe on the name of Jesus Christ and something else. Uh, it tells us that faith, or salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is not belief in Jesus Christ plus my baptism. It's not belief in Jesus Christ plus going to church. It's not believing in Jesus Christ plus reading my Bible or doing good things. It is belief in Jesus Christ alone. Trusting in Him alone, not our works, not our deeds, but in Him alone to be saved. Now, all of those things are good to do. We, as believers, we should be baptized. It's commanded that we be baptized. It's commanded that we do good works. It's commanded that we go to church. But those things are reserved for the believer. Uh, as a lost person, those things will do nothing to, earn, to, uh, to bring you salvation. It is faith and belief in Jesus Christ alone that saves. And so we must believe on the name of Jesus Christ. But belief... Uh, in Jesus is not just for the lost person. In other words, we don't just believe in Jesus, get saved, and then we no longer believe in Jesus. We continue to believe on Him. We continue to believe on His name. The Bible warns us of those who once profess to believe on Christ and then denounce Him. The, the Bible calls that apostasy. It's leaving the faith. It's denying the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've already seen, in 1 John chapter 2, those who go out from us, John said, they were never among us. They stopped. Uh, they, they, it was not a real faith. It was not a genuine faith. 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 2 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And that's not saying they lose their salvation. We never lose our salvation. As he said there, they speak lies and hypocrisy. In other words, it was never real. It was never genuine to begin with. They were never saved in the first place. And so as believers, we, uh, a sign of our belonging to Christ is that we've been saved and we continue to believe on Him. We don't leave the faith. We don't deny the Lord Jesus Christ. But throughout our Christian life, we believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Tonight, the question is, do we believe on Christ? Have you been saved? Do you continue to believe in Him? Uh, do, you do you believe His Word? We need to continue steadfastly, the Bible says, in our faith. Continue steadfastly in the things that we have learned. And so the first sign is that we believe on Christ. The second is that we love the brethren. And we've already covered this extensively, but verse 23, he says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. And so if we want to consider how important John believed that loving the brethren is, just consider the fact that he put it up there with believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John thought it so important that the church love one another. And it should be important to us as well that we love uh, one another. Uh, and I want us to notice, though, that the command is to love the brethren. John doesn't say uh, to like the brethren. There are times when we don't like the brethren. There are times when someone does something that we don't like, 
that we don't agree with, that we don't appreciate, but that does not mean we don't stop loving them. Our command is to love our enemies, to love those who hate us, to love those who persecute us, to love those who mock us, to love those who, who lie about us. And if we are commanded to love our enemies, how much more should we love our brethren? Uh, and so there are times when we might not like our brethren. We might not like somebody in the church, but that's not the command. The command is to love the brethren. And it is through Christ that we are given the ability to love the unlikable. Because oftentimes we're unlikable. How, how many times do we think somebody else is unlikable? Uh, we can probably imagine there, there's ten times the amount of times that people think we're unlikable. And that we, uh, we do not deserve their uh, praise, but they love us anyway. And so we need to love the brethren. And that's the command, to love the brethren. Those who are saved, they have a love for the brethren. That's why I'm leery sometimes of those who say, I'm saved, but I don't want to go to church. It's not important. Uh, I don't want to meet with God's family. I can just worship God by myself. God has created church uh, as a family that we worship Him together. And of course, we know that going to church doesn't save somebody. Going to church doesn't keep someone saved. It's Jesus Christ, again, who keeps us saved. But if we have been saved, I believe we love the brethren and we want to worship with our family. We want to spend time with our family. But the person who, who finds no pleasure, who has no desire to go to church, who has uh, no joy in worshiping with God's family, I am leery of that. And uh, if that is you, your heart, you need to examine your heart. Uh, there needs to be a love for your family that you have been placed into. And so there's the love of the brethren. Number three, and I'm going to spend the most time here, is the witness of the Spirit. The witness of the Spirit. Look at verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. By keeping the commandments uh, to believe on Christ... And love the brethren, we, we can know that we belong to Christ, that Christ dwells in us. But we are not always perfect in our love, are we? We are not always perfect, in our, in, even in our, our faith. Sometimes we falter in our faith, in trusting in God. Sometimes we don't trust God as much as we ought to. And so John gives us here a third test. When our love for the brethren is not as it ought to be, and when our faith sometimes wavers a little bit, he gives us a test here that's more sure than us. And it is the witness of the Spirit. Uh, and as believers, we should not expect that when we get saved, we are the perfect Christian. That we have the perfect love. That we have uh, the perfect belief and we will never doubt or we will never have to learn. But as believers, we know that when we get saved, we grow in our faith. It's something we grow into. We, uh, we trust God more and more. We love others more and more. It's a faith and a love that we grow into. Uh, and so when we, when we see that we do not love the brethren like we ought to, or we do not have faith that we ought to, I don't want us to doubt our salvation because there's a, 
the witness of the Spirit in our life if we've been saved. If you've been saved, you have the Holy Spirit, and there are some things that the Spirit does in our life that give us an assurance of our salvation. And so I want to look at some of those things that the Holy Spirit does to, to show us that we belong to Christ. Some things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. And the first is that the Holy Spirit teaches us the Word of God. Uh, one of the works of the Spirit in our heart, if we've been saved, is to help us grow in a knowledge of the truth, in a knowledge of the Word of God. And that's why Paul, he uses language like the milk of the Word and the meat of the Word when, it, when he's talking about consuming the Word of God. We, in other words, we do not start our new life as believers knowing everything there is to know about the Bible, but we grow in it. We grow in a knowledge of it, and it is through the Holy Spirit that we grow in understanding of His Word. The, one of the jobs is the Holy, of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and to instruct us, the Bible says. You know, there are countless individuals who spend their life studying the Bible. Uh, many of them, it's their job. You can go to universities and find individuals whose job it is to study the Bible, but they have no understand, no spiritual understanding of the Bible, and it's because they have not the Spirit of God in them. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man, that's referring to the person who's not saved, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, you can find individuals who have spent their whole life reading the Bible, but if, they have, but if they have not been saved, they do not have an understanding of the Word of God uh, from the Spirit. It's through God's Spirit that we come to understand the truths contained in the, in the Bible, in the Word of God. Without the Spirit, the Bible is just another book of words. Uh, it's just another literary masterpiece. It's just another work of art. It's just another uh, poetic book. But with the Spirit of God, it's the Word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible says, that pierces into our heart. And it, and it instructs us in the will of God and in the way of God for our life. That's what the Spirit of God does. Tonight, can you look at times in your life when you've read God's Word and God's Spirit has pricked your heart, you've been convicted of sin, or you've read God's Word and something came alive that you never saw before, or God instructed you in something that He, he wanted you to do in your life. Is, when you go to God's Word, is it exciting? Is it, are you, do you look forward to seeing what God has for you that day? Or is the Bible have no effect? And it is a bother. It is a bore. It is unexciting. Uh, if you have the Spirit of God, He instructs you. He gives you an understanding of His Word. Number two, through the Spirit we find comfort in hardships. We find comfort in hardships. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is our Comforter. And that name, it literally means one who comes alongside to aid. It means an advocate. Uh, of course, Jesus, He's our advocate before the Father. He stands before God, uh, and He represents us on our behalf because we are unable to. And through Christ, we are forgiven. Through Christ, we are redeemed. He is our advocate. But the Holy Spirit is also our advocate. He's our comforter. He comes alongside us in this life to comfort us in trials, to comfort us in hardships. And how does He do that? He does that through the promises found in the Word of God. Uh, if John 15, 26 says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, 
which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. When life gets difficult, are you reminded of the promises of God? Do you find comfort in the Spirit uh, of God? Do you find comfort in running to Scripture? Uh, or is our mind continually filled with fear and doubt and there is no comfort, there is no peace, we have no rest uh, because we do not have the Spirit's comfort? Uh, we know that God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, and that is through His Spirit. And so if there is no comfort from the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it might be that we do not have His Spirit, uh, or we are in, in sin, as we have seen before, but He gives us comfort. Number three, uh, we confess sin and we repent of it. Another work of the Spirit is to convict of sin. Look back at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. John writes, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. As believers, again, we understand we're not perfect. Uh, when we sin, though, we are grieved by our sin because we, our Father is grieved by our sin, um, and it moves us to confess that sin. Those who are lost, though, those who, have, who are not saved, there is no grief. There is no concern about their sin. They enjoy their sin. They take pleasure in their sin. They're in darkness, as John says. They're blind to the truth uh, until they are saved, until they're born again. Uh, but for those of us who are saved, our sin, it grieves us. And, and we know that. You know that if you're saved, there's times you have not obeyed the Lord like you should. And you are pricked in your heart and you knew you needed to go to God and confess that. That is a work of the Spirit in your heart and in your life. Uh, to bring you back into a relationship and fellowship with the Father. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit, He convicts us of sin. He, he brings us to confess our sin and to repent of it. Number four, we cultivate the Spirit's gift in our life. If you have the Holy Spirit, He gives you a gift at the moment of salvation. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8 says, For as we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. In that passage, we see that it's the Spirit who gives the church, the members of the body, gives them gifts. And the purpose of those gifts are for the edification of the body, for the edification of one another, for the encouragement of each other, to help us love one another as we've been commanded to do. And, and so if you have been saved... You have been given a gift from the Spirit of God. Do you know what your spirit? Uh, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you know uh, what it is that God has given you—the talent, the ability that He has given you to help edify and encourage those in this church? 
uh, or does it not phase you, the spiritual life of those in this church? Does it not concern you that, uh, about the, the growth of others? You know, as believers, I think we should be concerned, uh, or at least uh, desiring to want to see one another grow in our faith. And it's through our spirit that we help others grow. It's through our spirit that we encourage one another. Do we have that desire? Or does it not bother us? Do we, are we unconcerned about it? And only concerned about self? Uh, and so the Holy Spirit, he, produce, he helps us cultivate our gift. Number five, this is the last one we're going to look at, but uh, this is not the last thing that the Spirit does. There are far many other things that the Spirit does when we look at the Bible. But... The last one I want to look at is we produce spiritual fruit. Uh, if we have the Holy Spirit, we produce spiritual fruit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Just before that passage that I just read uh, about the fruits of the Spirit, Paul, he was writing about the fruits of the flesh, if you will. Uh, he writes out about adult, he writes, uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, and revelings. And that list is long, but it's not meant to be exhaustive. The idea there is that those who are lost find themselves cultivating those things in their life. Those who are lost find themselves producing those kinds of fruits. The fruits of sin, the fruits of darkness. Those are the things they are watering. Those are the things that they take pleasure in. Whether it be greed, or pride, or lust, or envy, or hatred, uh, strife, those are the things that they love. But for those who are saved, the opposite is true. For those who have the Spirit of God, they hate those things. They, they, they want nothing to do with them. Those things may rear their ugly head at times because we have this old nature, but we cut them down. We, forget, we ask for forgiveness, and we, we turn from them. And we begin to cultivate and produce the fruits of the Spirit through the Spirit. And those are love. We begin to cultivate love for others and joy. Uh, we begin to have uh, peace in our hearts through trials, through tribulations. Uh, we begin to develop long-suffering, which is just the old word for patience. Uh, we begin to develop gentleness and, and meekness and temperance. That's self-control. And, and the list goes on. Uh, but our life becomes characterized by those things. Uh, we begin to produce those fruits in our life. Is the Spirit of God producing fruit in your life? Again, we should not expect a perfect, plentiful crop at the moment of salvation. We're not going to have a full crop of love, a full crop of joy, all the peace we'll ever need right at the moment of salvation. But the seeds will be planted there, and those seeds will be growing. And they will begin to produce fruit. And we will begin to see that fruit grow more and more. And it will be evidenced, and others will see it. Uh, and it is through the Spirit that we produce those fruits in our life. Do you notice them? Do you notice a love for the brethren? Do you notice a joy in your life that can only be explained by God? 
Do you notice a peace in your life when hardships come or when trials come or when life gets difficult? Do you notice patience when you want to lash out in anger, but uh, something in you says, don't do it, be patient, forgive them? Uh, do, you have, uh, do, you, do you have temperance? Do you have self-control? Uh, do, do, uh, do you have these fruits in your life? The Bible says that the Spirit of God is our seal unto the day of redemption. Uh, the Spirit of God is our stamp of approval, if you will, upon our life from Christ. When God looks at us, He sees the Spirit of God and He, he sees that we belong to Him. The Spirit of God is our, our seal. It, it shows us, it bears witness that we belong to Christ. And those are the, that's the witness of the Spirit. And so when our faith may waver, when our love for the brethren may, may not be as strong as it should be, we can look to the Spirit. And we have the witness of the Spirit in our life to remind us that we belong to Christ and that we are, uh, that we are assured of our salvation through Him. Tonight, how do, how do you do on these tests? Do you believe on Christ? Do you love the brethren? And do you have... The, the witness of the Spirit of God in your life. We need to have this assurance of our salvation if we're going to, uh, if we're going to be effective for God in this life without wavering. He wants us to be secure in Him. He wants us to have faith in Him. He doesn't want us to doubt. It's the devil who wants us to live in doubt. It's the devil who wants us to constantly worry, am I saved? Am, uh, did I do enough things to be saved? Did I say the right words to be saved? That's the devil speaking in our heart to cause us to doubt what Christ has done for us. It's not us that saves us. It's not some magic words that you say and you're saved. It's not some magic works that you do and you're saved. It is faith in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, and that's what saves us. Uh, and so tonight, do you have the witness of the Spirit? Do you have that assurance of salvation? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I, I trust and believe, Lord, that uh, many here are saved. And Lord,